0: Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. In 1967, U.S. Air Force pilot James Shively was shot down over North Vietnam and captured by enemy forces. He spent six years in the Hanoi prison camps where he endured brutal torture. Yet somehow he found hope and became determined to help his fellow POWs survive. His stepdaughter, Amy Shively-Hawk, joins us uh, in a riveting portrayal of life as an American POW on the other side of the world. Amy is the author of Six Years in the Hanoi Hilton. It's an extraordinary story of courage and survival in Vietnam. Her stepfather, James Shively, spent, as I said, six years in Hanoi prison camps during the Vietnam War. She currently is partnering with the Headstrong Project, which is dedicated to providing veterans with free mental health care. And you can uh, follow that uh, organization and its work at getheadstrong.org. Amy, uh, good to make your acquaintance. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Al. Uh, go ahead and
0: tell me, take us back to 1967. And uh, when your stepdad was, was shot down, what were the circumstances?
1: Sure. Well, he had gone to the United States Air Force Academy. His parents really wanted him to go there. He was highly academic, and uh, they wanted him to get a great education and a free education. So Mm -hmm. he wasn't super hot on the idea, but he went to the academy and
0: found out
1: that he absolutely loved flying. And he (laughs) went on to pilot training and then combat training, and he was just exhilarated by it. It became his passion. Mm -hmm. So in uh, 1966, our government sent him over to fly missions over North Vietnam, and he was supposed to do 100 missions. And I wanted to mention, too, he was the elite of the elite. He was flying an F-105 Thunder Chief, which uh, there were not many appointments for that, but he was able to get one. And... uh, so he was a very, very well trained pilot, uh flying over Hanoi in nineteen sixty seven and his plane was shot uh by a surface to air missile and the back exploded and mm. so he was forced to uh parachute out.
0: Uh so this is sixty seven, right? So this is okay. That's so, right. He yeah.
1: was yeah, twenty five years old. Um parachuted out of the plane and landed in a rice paddy uh, north of Hanoi. And as he landed, the force of the fall um, mired him in the rice, the mud, and the muck up to his waist.
2: Mm. So he
1: um, had a a hard time escaping and was picked up almost immediately by the North Vietnamese Army.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, And how was he treated immediately?
1: Well, uh, the villagers came out. The North Vietnamese Army was there. They they stripped him. They beat him almost to death. Okay, right, right from the start. The, right from the start. Well, yeah. they watched. The villagers were uh, armed, and of course, the army had AK-47s. And they watched him. They watched his uh, plane go down, and they watched him parachute out. So mm-hmm.
2: okay. they
1: knew that he was there, and they came out in full force. And probably would have killed him there, um, except for the Army held the crowds back uh, because they wanted to take him into custody and threw him in the back of a truck and transported him to Hanoi to what the prisoners came to call the Hanoi Hilton.
0: Right, right. Uh, Was he moved around over those next six years or was he there permanently?
1: He was moved around. He started in the Hanoi Hilton. Uh, They took him to the torture interrogation room and he was tortured mercilessly for weeks and again almost died, um, starved, denied medication and and water, you know, got dysentery, hepatitis. He had infections um, already brewing because he was injured upon the ejection from his plane, but of course those went untreated. So Mm. He uh, was almost starved and tortured to death, and then they ended up moving him to another camp. So for that six years, he moved around from camp to camp.
0: Um, I've obviously never experienced anything like this. So I'm just wondering, you're you're beaten, um, you're disconnected from any kind of social supports, uh, you're diseased and uh, you're, again, disoriented. Uh, you're tortured. How, how do you, I mean, at what point does he settle down and say, uh, I'm going to survive? You know, I, I just can't imagine what that would be like. D- does he get a few weeks where he is able to recover a little bit? How does that work?
1: You know, uh, he wished that he had gone down with his plane. He wished that he had not ejected out and that wow. he had just uh, ended it ended it there. But I'll tell you, you, you touched on something when you said uh, about community, because what ended up happening, he was in isolation and just wanted to die. He was bound in stocks and chains, so he couldn't even move. Um, But one night, another prisoner was walking by his um, door to his cell and whispered something into him. And it was the first, you know, English words that he had heard since he had been captured. And the prisoner whispered something to him along the lines of, don't give up. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not the only one here. Mm -hmm. And it was like something just rose in his spirit when he heard those words he remembered who he was. He remembered that he was a fighter pilot. He remembered that he had strength within him. And Mm he uh, became determined from that point on that he was going to get out and that he was going to survive. And it was very much a turning point for him.
0: Yes. How far into the experience was that? Was that weeks, months, days?
1: It was probably a couple of months. It's a little bit fuzzy because uh, he didn't he couldn't remember really clearly mm-hmm. the the dates or how long he was in those initial weeks uh he was in and out of consciousness so much um right. but I placed it at about at about midsummer, okay. so that would have been two or three months into his experience.
0: Hmm.
1: now he was
0: there for six years while he was there. What kind of, was he ever able to establish relationships with fellow prisoners?
1: He was, and that is really what kept those prisoners going. They had to be strong for each other. If they were alone and in isolation, um, it was much easier to just give up and to lose hope. But once he was moved out of the Hanoi Hilton, they put him in a cell with other prisoners and Again, he almost died. The prisoners had to nurse him back to life uh, because he had such horrible uh, dysentery and vomiting and, um, Mm. and then got hepatitis. But, you know, you had to be strong for the men in your cell. And then the prisoners within the camps developed a way of communicating to each other through a tapping code system through the walls and you know that brought them strength as well they knew that they were in it together mm-hmm. and they were resolved and determined that they were going to get out
0: yeah so what is that what keeps them is is it the hope of getting out together what keeps them bound together or are there other aspects i mean do they do they think about america's role in the world? Do they think about uh, spirituality? Or is it primarily, we are survivors together here, we will get out?
1: Right. Well, I think it might have been, you know, a little bit different from prisoner to prisoner. Okay. I was able to interview uh, Senator John McCain for the book, and he told me that he relied on God, and that was his okay. first and foremost, um, you know, Stellar, uh, pillar of hope. Yes, and uh, John McCain spent so many years in isolation that he didn't. He wasn't able to have that, you know, sense of brotherhood and community yeah. that yeah. that the other prisoners were able. So you know, God was definitely with them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and you know, other than that, it was for each other, and it was also just knowing in their hearts that America. Would come back for them yeah
0: so they did have they did they did retain that confidence that uh, th- that that covenant that they had with the nation
1: oh absolutely okay. they um, they felt confident that America would come back, and of course, my dad was shot down in sixty seven there were two years there uh, where there were air raids very frequently. So they knew that the American B-52s were coming over Hanoi. They were doing uh, air raids. They uh, did some missions to try to get the men out. So they held on to hope that America would not forget them.
0: Yeah, yeah. What kind mm-hmm. of news do they get? It, again, it's hard for me to imagine what this would be like um, when you're in such a con- an environment so controlled by hostile agents um, were, did they ever get news of the war? Did they ever get news of what life was like in the United States while they were there? Or were they completely isolated?
1: You know, they did get news, uh, but of course it was propaganda from yeah. the the North Vietnamese, and so they were told constantly America hates you, they're not coming back for you. Oh. Uh, they had to filter that out though, because at the same time that they were getting this misinformation, you know, new uh, prisoners would come into the camp that had new information about gotcha. the war. Okay. And as they were able to, you know, locate them and communicate with them through this secret system that they set up, they were able to get more truth. But it was very covert, and they had to be very careful because you would be punished severely for communicating.
0: mm My guest is Amy Shively-Hawk. She's the author of Six Years in the Hanoi Hilton, an extraordinary story of courage and survival, telling the story of her uh, uh, stepfather, uh, James Shively, uh, who married her mother after his release from a Hanoi prison uh, when Amy was five years old. We're going to continue conversation on the other side of the break and also uh, go to life after this experience and what... uh, uh, James invested himself in uh, in the future. I'm Al Crest again. The book is called Six Years in the Hanoi Hilton. It is available at the website AvemariaRadio.net. We'll be back in just a moment. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. My guest, uh, Amy Shively Hawk, is the author of Six Years in the Hanoi Hilton, telling the story of her uh, stepfather, James Shively, uh, who was, again, shot down uh, over North Vietnam, spent six years in various uh, prisons in North Vietnam. He he, uh, returned to freedom in uh, 1973, what was the occasion for his release? Uh, how, did th- how did that happen?
1: Well, the war ended in uh, February of 1973, and the prisoners were released in groups. I wanted to share um, kind of a sweet uh, romance that is happening that's kind of an underlining part of the book. Yeah. My parents had uh, dated in high school, And they dated while my stepdad was at the United States Air Force Academy. They dated long distance, and my mom would go and visit him. Uh, But when he was sent to Southeast Asia and shot down, she determined after a period of years that she would probably need to move on with her life because she really didn't know if he would survive or if she would ever actually see him again. Mm -hmm. And so kind of on a whim... She met and married my biological father, and they moved to Seattle and had me and my little sister. Well, then in 1973, when Jim came home, she um, left my biological father mm-hmm. and went back to Spokane to be with Jim. And she knew in her heart; they both knew that they were always meant to be together.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So mm-hmm. it's kind of a kind of a romance um, within the book as well. But yeah. he. Became my stepdad when I was five years old, and of course, you know, raised me from such a young age that I just considered him my dad.
0: Yes, of course. Did he tell? I mean, did he tell you war stories, or was he silent?
1: He was quiet. Yeah. He did not really like to talk about it, unless, of course, he was getting together with some old uh, war buddies, and they did try to get together as often as they could. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until after he passed away that I became aware of the brutality and the severity of their treatment really? because a reporter uh yeah, he sent me some tapes that he had made. Of course he was, you know, continually hounded by reporters when he came home and throughout the years. And um he had made some tapes with a reporter about 10 or 12 hours' worth of his war experiences, and I was able to get those tapes, and that that's why I wrote the book, because mm. when I heard those tapes and realized that I had no clue, and I realized that, you know, America might not know what happened, right. and I really wanted the next generation to know uh, what these men went through. Yes. That was the catalyst for why I decided to write the book.
0: Hey, good for you. I... I we can 't lose these stories um, so so many of so many people today don 't have any sense of history at all, even back a generation. so I greatly appreciate you uh, giving us the work here. This is important you know it 's a funny thing though that I wonder why it is that uh your dad would be glad to talk with uh fellow warriors but tended not to tell those stories uh, to family and, and probably other non-combatant friends. Is it, is it because they didn't want—did they want to protect—did he want to protect you? Or did he feel as though the experience was so unfamiliar, so contrary to what normal life was like here in the United States, that he didn't think he could, he could be understood— I'm just curious, why would he keep his conversations limited, largely to those who had had who, who had military experience?
1: Hmm. I think you're right on both counts. I think he was very protective over my mom and over. Uh, they ended up raising four daughters together,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and he was protective over us. And you know, even to this day, my two of my sisters can't read the book. They just um, wow. They just start crying, you know, because when it's your dad. It's just so emotional. I yeah. had a hard time listening to the tapes, and he he understood that. We just knew him as dad, you know, reader of bedtime stories. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. and so it was very, very difficult for us to grasp uh, the fighter pilot soldier
2: mm-hmm. side
1: of him. But when he would get together, you know, we would sometimes go to POW reunions, or he would have his... Uh, his POW uh, cellmates over, uh, they would try to get together. That's when they could really talk because they shared all those experiences together and mm-hmm. they, they had just a very, very important camaraderie. And uh, I, I find that that's true with a lot of veteran families I've talked to though, their, their loved veteran uh, kind of closes up about some of their experiences mm-hmm. and um, you know, maybe to protect their own heart as well.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh,
1: well, I'm I've, not sure, but I, I just know that it's important to get those stories out as much as we can.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I, f- I found it true. I did not serve uh, in Vietnam, and I, and I, but I have found over the years, even with friends uh, who did serve, they tend not to share their stories. I, if I wanted to know something, I would have to push to learn it. Um, right. And um, so when your dad comes back, Uh, what does he do? The United States is a very different country in 1973 than it was in 1967. Did he ever comment on the difference?
1: Well, he was uh, was received with open arms. He was received as a hero. Beautiful. Uh, A few things had changed in America. For one thing, we had put a man on the moon. Yep. And, uh, you know, that was big news. And then... Just a few culture things. Um, he had never seen miniskirts before.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that had to be a and that shock. That was kind
1: of a big deal for those guys. Yeah, that was a shock. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs>
0: After uh, prison, You yeah. know, but
1: other than some, <laughs> other than some culture some culture things like that, he he was able to adapt right back into civilian life. Beautiful. And he was very lucky and blessed. And he... He knew that he Mm -hmm. knew that he was um, one of the lucky ones that he was able to assimilate so successfully back into civilian life. And that's really the message of the, of the book and of his life is persevere Mm -hmm. through the dark seasons. Don't give up, hang on to hope, Um, endure and just know that there will be victory on the other side. And that, that is exactly what happened. The, the last uh, chapter of his life was very redemptive and uh, inspirational.
0: Tell us tell us about that. Um, what was especially redemptive about it?
1: Well, he ended up becoming a United States attorney, and he tried some cases uh, for our U.S. government, and he also brought awareness to veterans with post-traumatic stress disorder, which was not... Uh, Commonly referred to back then. No, it In fact, wasn't. they didn't have a, a term right. for it, and right. he could uh, obviously understand some of the mental health issues, um, of course, better than some, some others. And so he became an advocate for veterans, mm-hmm. and really was at the forefront of acknowledging uh, some mental health issues and helping our government, you know, come along to support these veterans, which we still obviously. Uh, need to work on and need to do, which is why I'm partnering with the Headstrong Project. Right,
0: right. Was it a, was it an uphill uh, uh, battle to get uh, PTSD or whatever the terms were at that time uh, understood as as a first of all as real and secondly as treatable?
1: Yes, it was, mm-hmm. and I'll I do talk about some of that in the book. Uh, it was something that just needed to be on the forefront of uh of our government it, you know they just his conviction was that if you 're going to send men overseas, you had better be prepared to take care of them when they come home
0: absolutely yeah yeah mm-hmm. it seems to me thats that is so fundamental so fundamental uh, an agreement uh, it 's a shame that it has to be uh, that it has to be restated and argued for uh When we're asking Mm -hmm. so much of uh, these men and now women as well. Uh, Talk to me about the work of uh, Headstrong and what you're doing there. What's that project about?
1: Well, it was started by veterans. I became aware of it when uh, I was doing research for the book, and they just do great work. They they know what they're doing. The whole thing runs on donations because they don't want veterans to have to pay for their uh, mental health care but they have a program that works, it's treatable, they want. They will fly you there, they want to meet with you, and uh, I'm just really, I just know that it would please my dad to know that I've partnered with them uh, as advocates for mental health care. And you can look them up, they're at uh, headstrong.org.
0: Now, you often hear comments about uh, traumatic effects on returning Vietnam uh, veterans. Did your dad psychologically adapt well as well in, in his relationships? Did he have? Did he maintain good, strong relationships?
1: You know, he did. Um, but I think there was a part of him that that uh, was always a little bit closed off.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: you know, it's hard for me to say because I didn't know him before the war. He had a hard time with expressing any type of emotion at all. Yeah. Um, And my mom said that he did have nightmares occasionally, nothing that impeded his life, but that he had nightmares. uh, And then, of course, he came home. He had ongoing physical uh, ailments for all the years he was alive. He -hmm. he died in 2006, but he had uh, ongoing physical issues as well from the war.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Did he? Um, was he confident that the United States would make good on their promise to veterans?
1: You know, um, I don't know that he was. I think that he felt like he was having to you know, pull teeth to get things done. There there was so much bureaucracy through yeah. the Veterans Administration, through the hospitals, and that really frustrated him. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was one of his frustrations. Um, and that's why I want to continue his work today. I want to continue being an advocate. I think we need to keep this issue at the very forefront of America. We need to, you know, remember our heroes and the hard-won gift of liberty that we enjoy today is due to them and we need to take care of them. Absolutely.
0: They need to be you know, 100% taken care of. I agree and uh, I thank you so much for the book, for being with me today and hope we can talk in the future because this is a great concern to me as well Thank you Amy.
1: You bet Thank you Al.
0: Six years in the Hanoi Hilton, an extraordinary story of courage and survival in Vietnam Amy Shively Hawk, it's available in the bookstore. Uh, It'll move you